This is Monster Study Group, Extra Credit. I'm your host, Mark Matsky, and the premise of today's episode is simple. I'd like to share an article with you that I wrote for Nostalgia Digest back in autumn of 2015. The article is about the movie Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which is one of my absolute favorites. And I still have great memories of driving from Zanesville, Ohio, where we were living at the time, to Columbus, to a Barnes & Noble there in order to buy copies of this little digest-sized magazine, which has this article in it. It's neat to be a part of the history of this particular periodical. And so, uh, as far as an introduction goes, I think I'll wrap it up right here, and we'll get right into the text of Mirth and Monsters When Abbott and Costello Met Frankenstein and Made Horror History. It is no exaggeration to say that the comic duo of Bud Abbott and Lou Costello saved Universal Studios by producing a string of hit motion pictures starting with 1941's Buck Privates, which grossed $4 million at a time when the studio's finances were in precarious shape. With expert timing and effortless improvisation, they mastered radio, over 460 broadcasts, movies, eight years among the top 10 box office stars, and television, 52 episodes of The Abbott and Costello Show, and 20 appearances on the Colgate Comedy Hour. Bud and Lou leveraged their popularity into war bond fundraising efforts that netted Uncle Sam over $80 million. But for all their achievements, their place in contemporary pop culture centers on a singular routine, who's on first, and a genre-blending picture that married classic comedy with genuine, if gentle, frights, courtesy of Universal's iconic stable of monsters. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein is culturally significant, as indicated by its place in the Library of Congress National Registry, and is universally beloved by fans. Visitors to the official Abbott and Costello website have consistently voted it their favorite. And just think, it was nearly vetoed by one of its stars. Reportedly, Lou Costello, having read an early draft of the screenplay, burst into producer Robert Arthur's office, claiming my daughter could have written a better script. There are a number of possible explanations for his reaction. One is that Lou was none too flattered by the plot, which casts him as a dimwit whose brain is coveted by the villains for its lack of wattage. Another is that it was the most heavily scripted Abbott and Costello feature to date, with almost no trace of the time-tested vaudeville routines the twosome had ridden to fame. Or perhaps it was simply shrewd bargaining on Costello's part. Despite their box office dominance, they were already in trouble with the IRS and needed cash. 
Whatever Costello's objections were, Arthur was able to talk him into making the film, a decision that would make even Costello's mother happy. By his own reckoning, producer Robert Arthur hatched the collision of comics and creatures in a late-night bull session with studio head of production Ed Moule. In response to the question, what do we do next with Abbott and Costello? By the time they were done brainstorming, Arthur and Moule knew they wanted Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, and the Wolfman to anchor the monster team. According to early press releases, the mummy and Count Alucard, the son of Dracula, were also considered for the film. The terrifying threesome had appeared together before, in 1944's House of Frankenstein and the next year in House of Dracula, so their grouping was not without precedent. One big difference, of course, was that John Carradine portrayed Dracula in those movies. While one of the master strokes of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is seeing Bela Lugosi back in the role of the Count for his second and final time. After one false start, Arthur recruited Bertram Milhauser, a screenwriter for Universal's Sherlock Holmes series, to develop the story. His treatment was as convoluted as it was uninspired, so the 47-page script was shelved, and the project was given to veteran Abbott and Costello writers Robert Lees and Frederick Rinaldo. After working through a couple versions of the story, they had the essential plot in hand along with much of the dialogue that continues to entertain audiences today. Lees credited Rinaldo with some of the film's funniest moments. The romantic scene between Lenore Aubert and Lou in the woods, that's all Fred's. Some of the best lines in the picture like, I'll bite, no, I will, or when Cheney tells Costello the full moon turns him into a wolf and Costello says, you and 20 million other guys, that's all Fred's stuff. I would say I did about two-thirds of the story and Fred did two-thirds of the dialogue. One of the keys to the success of the script, not to mention the finished film, is that the monsters are not asked to compromise scares for laughs. This approach is ultimately what secured Lugosi's participation. He told the New York Times, there is no burlesque for me. All I have to do is frighten the boys of perfectly appropriate activity. My trademark will be unblemished. Lugosi signed on to the project in January of 1948, and even though he had the reputation of being all business on the set, a still photograph in the book Abbott and Costello in Hollywood shows him pouring water on the head of backstage foil Bobby Barber. Lugosi obviously relished the opportunity to reprise his signature role, turning in a pitch-perfect performance. Boris Karloff was not similarly inclined and declined to reappear as Frankenstein's monster. Citing a reluctance to make sport of the creature that had cemented his creepy credentials, he nevertheless was supportive of those who attempted to fill his very big shoes. In this case, Glenn Strange, 
a show business veteran and former stuntman who found his niche in Western movies and television. Glenn had already teamed with Abbott and Costello in 1947's The Wistful Widow of Wagon Gap and would do so again in 1951's Coming Round the Mountain. In both films, he displays uproarious comic ability. It should be noted that Karloff held no animosity toward Bud and Lou, as he appeared subsequently in Abbott and Costello Meet the Killer, Boris Karloff, and 1953's Abbott and Costello Meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Strange was candid about Karloff's influence on his portrayal of the monster. In fact, Karloff had shared his secrets with Strange on the set of House of Frankenstein. As Strange recalled, Karloff showed me how to make the monster's moves properly and how to do the walk that makes him so frightening. This would be the third and final time Strange would play Frankenstein's ill-fated creation and the only time in which he spoke. Rounding out the monster trio was Lon Chaney Jr., playing the Wolfman on screen for the fifth time. Like Strange, Chaney had shared the screen with Bud and Lou before, playing a college building and ground supervisor tormented by Costello's antics in 1945's Here Come the Coeds. In Meet Frankenstein, the tables are turned as the Wolfman tries to get his paws on Lou's ample frame. In fact, Chaney did double duty as a movie monster. When Glenn Strange fractured an ankle on the set, Chaney volunteered to wear the makeup for the shot in which Sandra is thrown out of the laboratory window. Chaney had previously played the monster in 1942's Ghost of Frankenstein. A few days later, Strange was able to resume the role with the help of a metal cast. Production began February 5, 1948, under the title Brain of Frankenstein, an allusion to the plot point and running gag regarding Costello's gray matter. A sales meeting was responsible for the eventual title change. By all accounts, it was an unusually enjoyable shoot. An Abbott and Costello set was generally raucous to begin with. The Universal Monsters in full regalia merely gave things a more surreal quality than usual. Imagine being part of the studio tour that happened upon Lenore Aubert in full glamour mode, leading Strange's monster on a leash with Bud, Lou, and Lon fully transformed, trailing behind. Years later, Bud and Lou's children, Patty Costello, Vicki Abbott, and Bud Abbott Jr., warmly recalled the special thrill of being children on the set with the movie's greatest monsters. I always got a big kick out of seeing the monsters between scenes, Patty recalled, sitting in a chair reading the newspaper or chewing gum or laughing or smoking like regular people. New studio makeup chief Bud Westmore was credited with the remarkable innovation by developing special rubber masks for Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman, he cut the application time from an average of five hours down to one, slashing the cost by 75% per character. The changes in appearance, while somewhat perceptible, are not distractingly so. The Wolfman scenes especially continue to be charged with genuine suspense due in no small part to Lon Chaney Jr.'s experience with the character. 
The public and the critics agreed. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein produced both goosebumps and laughs. After the movie's preview showing in Inglewood, Lou Costello's mother gave producer Robert Arthur a big hug and said, I haven't laughed this hard in years, much to her son's consternation. Lou still may not have been entirely sold on his own monster movie, but his fans were. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein became Universal's third biggest hit of the year. The picture, which had cost less than $800,000 to make, grossed over $3 million and ensured that Bud Abbott and Lou Costello would be meeting monsters for years to come. That's going to do it for our extra credit session. A quick one, but one that I hope inspires you to seek out Abbott and Costello. Their work is widely available these days in very attractive formats with extra bonus material and so forth that I think you will find enjoyable. As always, I'll invite you to seek out Monster Study Group on Instagram, where our latest episode information posts, as well as our ongoing collaboration with Monster Kid Radio. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>